The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good morning. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer. We've enjoyed bringing this show since 2005. Your host is Mari Frank, a local attorney since 1985. She's a certified information privacy professional. Mari's testified many times on privacy issues in Congress and the California legislature. You may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, The O'Reilly Factor, and many more shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Mari, what's our show about this morning? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about privacy with regard to marketing and advertising. And those two areas sometimes can really be a challenge, can be adverse to each other. But we're going to be speaking with an expert who's going to show us how you can do both, have privacy and great marketing and great advertising. And she is an attorney. And let me tell you a little bit about Heather E. Nolan, who's a partner at InfoLaw Group. And she is coming to us from Chicago. She has over 13 years of legal experience, and she focuses on providing proactive and practical legal advice for marketing, promotion, and advertising programs. And she is, this includes using a wide spectrum of platforms and technology. Um, she helps her clients address the myriad legal issues throughout the planning, designing, launching, and administering of all these types of programs. And also, she helps clients create and distribute their own content. On a daily basis, Heather counsels on the traditional and emerging intellectual property and digital media legal issues that they trigger. And she regularly works on multi-platform programs which involve digital video, viral campaigns, websites, mobile apps, promotional offers, giveaways, sweepstakes, skills, all sorts of skill contests, games, loyalty programs, rebates, emails, text messages, anything that you can think of with technology goes on and on and on, including disclosures and all sorts of campaign elements. Heather has also extensive experience handling all aspects of promotions that involve charities too. And she is a member of the Brand Activation Association, which there's a acronym BAA, which is part of the Association of National Advertisers. And she's a regular speaker at its annual law conference and web and all their webinars. Heather previously practiced law at Wildman Herald, which is now part of Lock Lord in Chicago. So we're just thrilled to have you join us today. Thanks for being with us, Heather. And th- thank you, Mari, for having me. Well, it's a big, we got a, uh, just before the show started, we got to talk and we found out we're both Badgers from the University of Wisconsin. She's younger, but still, we both love it there. And also, you know, I grew up in the Chicago area, so 
We just love Chicago. People in the Midwest are great. So we are just so thrilled that you're joining us, Heather. So what do you see developing in the field of marketing and broadcasting? Well, Mari, when when uh, this show was proposed to me, I was thinking about the privacy issues um, involved in marketing and advertising, and that is that's such a huge topic. And so, right right now and today, I thought we'd focus on this huge trend that I see toward what I call DIY content creation and distribution. And really, it's all about marketing, whether it's creating an individual persona or pushing products, services, or a brand. Generally, everyone seems to be jumping on board um, as, as as platforms and technology evolve, individuals and organizations are gaining easier and more intuitive access to create their own content and broadcast it right. themselves and their organizations. And so now that, you know, access to radio waves or TV channels isn't required, you just need basically one little device and you can be your own studio and agency. Exactly. Exactly. Especially like when I think about Facebook, anybody can have their own little show and put it up on Facebook and on YouTube. And it's, you know, it's amazing. And then the more people that start to like you, the more that you're going to get advertisers and you can make money from them. It just, it is just um, a a crazy time. Could you tell for my audience what you mean by what does DIY stand for? I I, I use DIY to mean do it yourself, okay. and by that I mean um, you know instead of hiring a vendor or agency to create content, um, you know, or a videographer, um, you know, if you're just an individual, it's basically taking it in house or doing it your own self. Right, right. I know my co-author and I have made a bunch of videos and just, you know, about the stuff that's in our new book. And we just put it up on our website, put it up on YouTube. And um, it's, it's just amazing. You know, we don't need anybody except ourselves and a, a selfie stick in our Facebook to do it. Exactly. So it's it is pretty amazing. Indeed. Yeah. So let's talk about some privacy laws that really may be relevant to this do-it-yourself content creation and distribution. Well, content is still being, you know, just pushed out to eyes and ears one directionally, but very little of it is actually solely one directional, given the platforms and the technology that we use now. Right. And so, of of course, you know, with the collection and sharing of information and and the, the exchange that happens comes privacy issues that are needing to be considered. And they come from a few main sources. Um, first, there are requirements that are implemented under Section 5 of the Federal Trade Commission Act and similar state consumer protection and privacy laws. Um, these requirements apply generally to those who operate a website or publish a mobile application, what we call app, um, or otherwise offer a product or service and collect certain information. Right. Um, and then in addition, there are, you know, the state consumer protection statutes um, enforce similar privacy principles. And of course, the state of California is particularly active in this space. Um, another source of privacy laws to consider when you're do- doing your own content creation and distribution for marketing 
um, are the statutory obligations under the Video Privacy Protection Act, which is a federal statute. Um, and there are some similar state video privacy laws that are imposed um, on the disclosure of personal information associated with viewing audiovisual materials. So let's give some examples, because we're sitting here on the campus of the University of California, Irvine, and I am sure a lot of these students are creating content, and whether it's for their Facebook page or YouTube or their website or just for marketing a product or whatever, um, they probably are not going to be familiar with all these laws. So can we bring it down to make it real uh, consumer-friendly understood, like, for example, with the Federal Trade Commission, we always worry about deceptive practices. They shouldn't do something that, uh, you know, talk about a product that they have in a way that is deceptive, like this little pill is going to make you skinny in a half hour or something like that. Let's, let's kind of take each of those laws and make it um, give examples so that they understand what you're talking about. Great. So for for the general FEC Act and the similar consumer protection laws in, and privacy laws in the state, there are a couple main principles um, that are at issue and, and triggered whenever you collect information through a website or otherwise digitally. So these principles are notice, right. choice, access, security, and enforcement. Um, and so these, these five things are what, um, what anyone needs to keep in mind as, you know, you start making a, you know, say you start a YouTube channel and you're filming yourself and you're, you know, you come up with, you know, a, a brand for your own, your own self, whatever it is that you're doing. Maybe you're a, a dancer or maybe you, um, you know, start to just build your brand and, and whatever it is. Um, you know, if you put that out on a third party platform, maybe you won't be collecting the information, but, as you begin to build your brand and you, if you start um, distributing that content your own self through your own website or say you create an app and you, your own self and you push that out, um, as soon as you begin collecting information, whether you're collecting email addresses to build your email database to the extent people are even going to continue using those um, or collect mobile numbers so you can text people about your upcoming performances or sales offers. Um, you know, these are important principles, notice, choice, access, security, enforcement to keep in mind as you move forward with collecting and beginning to use and, sh and maybe even share that information. So you, so basically you, you need to provide notice that you're collecting that information and what you're going to do with it, right? And give people a choice to opt out if they want to or opt in if they want to and um, and then access where they get to know um, see what what it is that yeah. that you're collecting and, and see what you're doing with it and security that if you have let's say you are a dancer and you you want to be able to tell people about your upcoming shows and you collect information then what kind of information are you collecting? You have to let them know. And then if you're going to share it with anybody, you know, that that would have to be a choice that they make, right? And then security to keep that secure so that other dancers can't immediately just, uh, you know, reach out to them and say, come to my show. 
and security that maybe uh, a fraudster can't come in and take the, the data. And enforcement would be, well, you know, how, how is it going to be enforced that you're going to follow these rules? Am I, am I with you? Yes, exactly. And I, I, I can give some more detail about each one of those elements if, you, if you'd like. Yeah, I think that would be important because I think people are just not aware. They put something up and they don't realize um, all of the real ramifications of doing that, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. So so for, for notice, for example, um, you know, the notice requirements can often, for, for both the, the federal and the state um, applicable privacy laws, um, can, can often be satisfied um, if you prominently post a privacy policy. Um, this is a statement about what you do with the information that you collect. And they are promises that you, as a collector of information about the people that are using your app or the people that are using your website or viewing your content, um, they are promises that you're making these people about the collection, the the transfer of the information. Right. Um, And California, in fact, explicitly requires that website operators, and that term has a specific definition um, that that is a little broader than just, you know, website at this point, but California explicitly requires that um, if you collect personal information from consumers, it requires that you actually post a privacy policy. Right. And you have to make it understandable <laughs> as well, because sometimes if it's not understandable, that's not going to be helpful to consumers either. So, you know, right. that, that was sometimes people will copy a privacy policy from someone else's website, and they don't realize that they're going to be held accountable to that privacy policy. If they make promises, they are going to be held accountable not only in California, but federally with the Federal Trade Commission is going to say, if you don't follow your policy, then that that's a deceptive practice too. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's go to choice. Okay. So choice, um, you know, consumers are typically informed by the privacy policy that, you know, if, if say you're, you're putting content out there and then you post a privacy policy, oftentimes that says and tells people right there, hey, user, if you continue to use this website or this mobile app, you consent to the information practices described in the policy. Um, they're also, in certain circumstances, um, should be the ability for that consumer to opt out of certain uses and disclosures of information. Um, one of these types of, uh, one of these areas is disclosures related to um, network advertisers. And there are industry self-regulatory organizations um, such as the Network Advertising Initiative and the Digital Advertising Alliance. Um, these are basically advertising groups, industry groups, um, that have mechanisms that provide um, means for consumers to opt out of information sharing with third-party advertisers. So, for example, you you have your website, it gets really popular, you're putting out content, you're building your brand, and um, you get, as you mentioned, Mari, you start getting advertisers wanting to put ads on your site. Right, so right. To track through your site um, to see where people are coming from, what other interests they have. Um, and as you start to do that, um, it, it, you know, it makes sense to consider, consider some of these mechanisms that allow users of your site to opt out of some of that information sharing 
with third-party advertisers. Right, right. So what kind of access may be required? So access, um, I think it's more of a flexible principle than, than some of the um, notice and choice uh, requirements. And, but most websites um, and, and operators of apps um, provide contact information, such as a telephone number, email address, or a postal address um, that consumers can use to request that the information maintained about them um, be changed or, uh, or, or basically like unsubscribed. Um, so if you, um, as a website user or mobile app user, you know, provide your information so that you can have an account with the website, with the app, um, you know, oftentimes you're just, uh, the, the operator makes it known that, hey, if you want to change your information or if you want to cancel your account, follow this link or contact us at this information. Right, and, right. And that's really important, I think, because there are some times that I'll look at a website and I cannot find the contact information at all. It'll just have like a little box that you can write to them, but you can't call them, you can't get to them. And I think it's very frustrating, especially when I have victims of identity theft call me and say, Mari, this isn't me, you know, that and and I need to talk to them and I can't find a way to get to talk to them. And I send an email and I don't get any answer and I'm telling them it's not me and I'm not getting anywhere. So, you know, to have a phone number there, I think is really critical as well. Well, besides having, you know, a way to, to contact them by email. Don't you think so? Yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, you know, you want to think about what's required from a legal standpoint, but also, you know, who, if you want to increase engagement, right, with your followers, with your users, with your, you know, fans, then why not make it easier for them, you know, to engage with you and, and make that experience really um, you know, a pleasant one, for, yeah. you know, something that doesn't, you know, cause frustration. Um, yeah, sounds good. So let's talk about security. This is, you know, we hear about security breaches all the time. What, what are the security breaches for people who just do their own content? So, you know, the safeguard that, okay, let me back up. Regulators generally interpret um, security, the security principle under the FTC Act and the state Act to require that operators maintain safeguards to protect consumer information against reasonably foreseeable risk. And there are, um, there's a really helpful guide um, on the FTC website that I like directing people to as a good starting point. And it's, it is just called protecting personal information, and it says a guide for business. Um, but really, it could be helpful um, to uh, anyone who starts pushing out content to build their build their brand or persona. Um, and that is um, available at FTC.gov. Yes, and you know, and for those of you who live in California, we also have best practices and things like that for protecting information at privacy.ca.gov. So that's a another website that you can go to. Okay, um, what is VPPA and how does that come into play? So the Video Privacy Protection Act Mm -hmm. um, could come into play um, if information is collected about users or consumers and who view streaming 
video content through online channels or through apps or through other video-related platforms. And the Video Privacy Protection Act applies to disclosure of personally identifiable information by videotape service providers, which means any person that's engaged in the business of essentially rental, sale, or delivery of pre-recorded video cassette tapes or similar audio-visual materials. And regulators and courts have interpreted this definition broadly to apply to online streaming services. Mm. And so to the extent that you are creating content that you know, is that you're streaming online and, you know, you people are, it's available for people to watch. Um, you want to pay attention to the VPPA if you are going to share information about who's watching what, how they're watching it, the device identifier, things like this. Um, in this context, personally identifiable information that triggers the requirements of the VPA is defined pretty broadly. And it says um, that it is information which identifies identifies a person as having requested or obtained specific video materials or services. And this includes things like, um, you know, of course, you know, government-issued identification numbers like driver's license, but also photographs of people, names, email addresses, telephone numbers, um, things like that. And there is um, an indication also that persistent device identifiers such as HTTP cookies and mobile device identifiers um, are, are PII under the statute. So give me an example of how that would relate. So if you're um, making your own video content and you include pictures of people who didn't give you their, their authority or their permission to use their face in your video that you're marketing your product, is that mm-hmm. going to be in, um, in violation of the VPPA? I'm just trying to see how that works for people who do their own uh, videos, that they're so, marketing a product or a service. I, I think it, it often comes into play more in the context of advertisers, right? Or um, third parties, you know, maybe it's a vendor, for example, who have an interest in knowing or, um, you know, want to provide services related to um, knowing which of your users are watching, you know, which programming. So say you want to understand, oh, you know, my the, the viewers in California are watching more of this type of content, but the viewers in, you know, the Midwest are watching this type of content. I see. I see. Okay. And things like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so let's talk a little bit more about the marketing purposes, because people are using the video for marketing purposes, whether it's their, you know, online, uh, you know, makeup lessons or or whatever, and they're selling things. Are there privacy issues which uh, can arise attempting to protect the content created and, you know, intellectual property issues? Yeah. uh, And, you know, so far we've been talking about the privacy issues as they relate to the privacy of the information of the user. But if you are creating pushing it out for marketing purposes, in general, there's lots of issues to consider from an intellectual property perspective. 
Um, but some of these relate directly to, to your own privacy as the content creator. Um, so, for example, if you come up with um, a certain um, novel invention, right, you want to consider whether or not you are going to protect it um, as a trade secret versus seek patent protection. Um, patent Seeking patent protection requires that you disclose a certain level of information about what you have created. And so you may want to, um, you know, keep uh, confidential and, and protect it, um, the invention, whether it's code um, or, you know, other features of the website. You may want or, or, or something not even related to your website, something that you're discussing on your website or through an app. You may want to keep secret um, instead of seeking patent protection um, you know, as far as uh, protecting your own IP. And from a copyright perspective, you know, uh, when you create a mobile app, when you create a website, when you create content and push it out through a website, whether it's your own website or a third-party platform, there are copyright issues and there are benefits to filing um, and seeking uh, protection of copyright. Um, if, for example, you uh, write a script um, for, you know, some, some kind of uh, show, you know, like for lack of a better word, um, what we, you know, used to call it like a normal television show or like some kind of production like that. Right. Um, you can, you can file it with, uh, with the Writers Guild of America, for example, and that is kept confidential as opposed to the copyright office, which are public records. Um, they're afforded different benefits for the different filings, and I would encourage anyone considering um, you know, copyright protection to, to look further into that and, or contact me and I can help uh, guide through those issues. But um, that's another area where privacy of the content creator should be considered. Right. Well, we only have like another minute left. So uh, do you want to just give us like two takeaways with regard to privacy in the new age of do-it-yourself marketing? Yeah. Sure. Um, so, you know, basically, if make sure that you disclose how you are going to use the information that you collect on the website and then actually stay true to it. Um, offer opt-out um, when it comes to third-party advertiser tracking and some of the more um, sensitive uh, uses of information. And also make sure to keep the information that you have collected secure and be sure that when you share it, if you share it, that you're complying with your own privacy policy and that any third parties that you share the information with are bound um, contractually to you uh, to comply with the, the laws that apply and to the privacy policy and promises that you have made. Perfect. Well, we're going to send people to find out more at infolawgroup.com. And Heather E. Nolan, you're wonderful. Thank you so much for all your great advice. And we will have you back again, okay? Thank you, Mari. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org. On the net, I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. and visit our website at privacypiracy.org. Thanks. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.